Coming to you live from the Chamber of Hunter Studios. This is Haunting You. I'm John Schultz. I'm Keone Hutton. And Leslie Reed just took off her earphones. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was when you did it, I was like, man, I did that out of nowhere. He actually picked it up pretty well. Well, thank you. I mean, it, off. like, yeah, and then, then Leslie screwed it up. <laughs> In fairness, I did do that with zero warning. So, yeah, but it, I mean, it's fairly easy to jump in when you're, I is. mean, like, it, it's not a complicated introduction. <laughs> Leslie, say, and I'm Leslie Reed. Unmute yourself and then say it. <laughs> Do I have to? <laughs> well, I mean, she's here. I think they can tell she's here now. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Leslie Reed. <laughs> that I, I'm keeping that like that. I love that as an. You said half that half to have some Harley in it. That was good. It totally wow. had some Harley in it. Happy tis the season. Tis the season. Happy Halloween, everyone! Welcome to the Haunting You podcast. We are gonna do something very special here today because it is Halloween, and it is just so rare for us to be able to actually put out an episode on Halloween. We have wanted for a year now to uh, share some of our favorite creepy stories with you and so rather than do a regular episode today we are doing dramatic readings of some of our favorite scary stories so i hope you enjoy these dramatic readings what i'm about to read is basically just a a piece from the batman the audio adventures (laughs) so this and this isn't particularly long so it's a modified piece from Batman, the audio adventures. Um, if you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. It's fantastic. Amazing. Written by Dennis McNicholas. So if you have heard this before, I am taking a few little liberties here because this is a conversation that's being had. So I've modified it a little bit into more of a uh, story, more in, into just an actual listenable story without doing the back and forth. So, uh, yes. So Batman, the audio adventures, And uh, I believe the writer is Dennis McNicholas. There we go. Our story today finds us traveling to the headquarters of the Gotham City Police Department. We look in on a small basement office, which houses the fearless men and women of the bomb disposal unit. One of the city's more colorful crooks has just sent a package with care to the GCPD, which sadly is not uncommon. The squad, lovingly known as TNT, endlessly debates over whose turn it is, to summon the courage to take on another madman's handiwork. It would be Sergeant Terrigan's turn, except he traded his last riddle body to Detective Tyson in exchange for his next two scarecrow bombs. Detective Meese feels for the man, but thinks at least it's not a Joker package. She would take two scarecrow bombs, a riddle box, and anything the freeze guy has for anyone to take a Joker package off her hands. Each member of the squad knows there's no telling what's in a Joker package. It's going to be whatever he thinks is funny on that particular day. Let me tell you what the clown thinks is funny. Several years ago, there was a sergeant on the squad named Meeks. He had the pleasure of dealing with one of the very first Joker packages that was sent out to the GCPD. Back then, they knew the clown was dangerous, but they didn't know how he operated. So he gets this purple box in the station, opens it up, and sure enough, there's a bomb inside. But it's a bomb like Meeks has never seen. 
This thing looks like a ray gun crossed with a time machine crossed with a whoopee cushion. It makes no sense. The only thing Meeks recognizes is a cell phone detonator. But then, the phone rings. Meeks thinks he's dead. But, only, it's not even a detonator. It's just an ordinary cell phone. Someone on the other line just wants to have a conversation. Of course, it's the Joker. They chat a while. Pretty normal stuff considering circumstances. The Joker finds Meeks fascinating and wants to know more about a man who chooses to disarm bombs for a living. What does he value? What does he love? So, the Joker says he'll trade deactivation instruction for Meeks' home address. Well, Meeks about flips because this is going to take out an entire city block in just a few minutes. But then again, he has three kids at home that are all alone. In the end, he agrees because he has to. He gives the Joker his home address. The Joker tells him exactly what wires to cut. It's a complicated bit of business, but the Joker is on the level. The Joker helps Meeks finish dearming the bomb, and it's deactivated. Then the Joker says, expect the unexpected, and hangs up. Immediately, Meeks rushes straight home. It takes him forever with the Gotham City traffic. But once he opens the door, he finds his children are playing, and they're all right. But they say they had a visit from the nicest clown. The clown left us a present. Can we open it, Daddy? The clown said to wait until you got home, the kids say. Sure enough, there's another purple box on the kitchen counter, just like the first one. Of course, he grabs the kids, and they are out of there. He's on the next flight to stay with his sister in Coast City. So he lands in Coast City, gets off the plane. He's frustrated. He's tired. He's cranky because his kids are all horribly airsick. But at least they're there. And they're away and they're safe. So he checks his phone. There's almost a hundred messages from his team telling him, come back, come back now. Everyone on his squad is begging him to come back to Gotham City. His squad got the package open. You know what's inside? A little tiny bottle with three pills in it and a handwritten note on a purple card. It said just two words, the antidote. The Joker had poisoned his three little children, but he had left Meeks the antidote to administer to save them. All Meeks had to do was open the box. Expect the unexpected. For my selection, I also chose uh, one of my favorite works from Edgar Allan Poe. It is, of course, The Raven, probably the only piece of poetry that I like really enjoy. And I hope that you all will enjoy. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore. While I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor," I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. Only this, and nothing more. Ah, distinctly I remember, it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. 
Eagerly I wished the morrow, vainly I had sought to borrow from my book Circes of Sorrow, Sorrow for the Lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore, nameless here forevermore. And the silken sad uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before. So that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating to some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door. This it is, and nothing more. Presently my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer. Sir, said I, or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore. But the fact is I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door. Darkness there, and nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there, wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore. This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore. Merely this, and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning, soon again I heard a tapping somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely that is something at my window lattice. Let me see then what thereat is, and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment, and this mystery explore. Tis the wind, and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter, when, with many a flirt and flutter, in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made he, nor a minute stopped or stayed he, but with mine of lord or lady perched above my chamber door, perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat, and nothing more. Then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling, by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore. Though thy crest be shorn and shaven, thou, I said, art sure no craven, ghastly grim and ancient raven wandering from the nightly shore. Tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's plutonian shore. Quoth the raven, Nevermore. Much I marveled this ungainly fowl to hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meeting, little relevancy bore. For we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door, bird or beast upon the sculptured bust above his chamber door, with such a name as nevermore. But the raven sitting lonely on the placid bust spoke only that one word as if his soul in that one word he did outpour. Nothing farther than he uttered, not a feather than he fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered, other friends have flown before. On the morrow he will leave me as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, Nevermore. Startled at the stillness broken by reply so aptly spoken, doubtless, said I, what it utters is its only stock and store, caught from some unhappy master, whom unmerciful disaster followed fast and followed faster till his songs one burden bore, till the dirges of his hope that melancholy burden bore of never, nevermore. 
but the raven still beguiling all my fancy into smiling, straight I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of bird and bust and door. Then upon the velvet sinking, I betook myself to linking, fancy unto fancy, thinking what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore meant in croaking nevermore. This I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core. This and more I sat divining, with my head at ease reclining on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er. But whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloating o'er, she shall press, ah, nevermore. Then, methought, the air grew denser, perfumed from an unseen censer, swung by seraphim, whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor. Wretch, I cried, thy God hath lent thee, by these angels he hath sent thee. Respite, respite and nepenthe from the memories of Lenore. Quaff, oh quaff this kind nepenthe, and forget this lost Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore, desolate yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted, tell me truly, I implore, is there, is there, Balmond Gylad, tell me, tell me, I implore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, by that heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore, tell this soul with sorrow laden, if within the distant Eden, it shall clasp a sainted maiden whom the angels name Lenore, clasp a rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Be that word our sign of parting, bird or fiend, I shrieked upstarting. Get thee back into the tempest and the night's plutonian shore. Leave no black plume as a token of that lie thy soul hath spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit the bust above my door. Take thy beak from out my heart and take thy form from off my door. Quoth the raven, nevermore. And the raven, never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting on the pallid bust of Pallas just above my chamber door, and his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming, and the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor, and my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore. In honor of Halloween and one of my favorite authors and storytellers, Edgar Allan Poe, I am going to be reading The Telltale Heart because it's awesome. True, nervous, very, very dreadfully nervous. I had been and am, but why will you say that I am mad? The disease had sharpened my senses, not destroyed, not dulled them. Above all was the sense of hearing acute. I heard all things in the heaven and in the earth. I heard many things in hell. How, then, am I mad? Hearken and observe how healthily, how calmly, I can tell you the whole story. It is impossible to say how first the idea entered my brain, but once conceived, it haunted me day and night. Object there was none. Passion there was none. I loved the old man. 
He had never wronged me. He had never given me insult. For his gold, I had no desire. I think it was his eye. Yes, it was this. One of his eyes resembled that of a vulture, a pale blue eye with a film over it. Whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold. And so by degrees, very gradually, I made up my mind to take the life of the old man and thus rid myself of the eye forever. Now this is the point. You fancy me mad. Madmen know nothing. But you should have seen me. You should have seen how wisely I proceeded. With what caution, with what foresight, and with what dissimulation I went to work. I was never kinder to the old man than during the whole week before I killed him. And every night, about midnight, I turned the latch of his door and opened it. Oh, so gently. And then... When I had made an opening sufficient for my head, I put in a dark lantern, all closed, closed so that no light shone out, and then I thrust in my head. Oh, you would have laughed to see how cunningly I thrusted it. I moved it slowly, very, very slowly, so that I might not disturb the old man's sleep. It took me an hour to place my whole head within the opening, so far that I could see him as he lay upon his bed. Would a madman have been so wise as this? And then, when my head was well in the room, I undid the lantern cautiously, oh so cautiously, cautiously, for the hinges creaked, and I undid it just so much that a single thin ray fell upon the vulture eye, and this I did for seven long nights, every night, just at midnight, but I found the eye always closed, and so it was impossible to do the work. For it was not the old man who vexed me, but his evil eye. And every morning, when the day broke, I boldly went into the chamber and spoke courageously to him, calling him by name in a hearty tone and inquiring how he had passed the night. So you see, he would have been a very profound old man indeed to suspect that every night, just at twelve, I looked in upon him while he slept. Upon the eighth night, I was more than usually cautious in opening the door. A watch's minute hand moves more quickly than did mine. Never before that night had I felt the extent of my own powers, of my sagacity. I could scarcely contain my feelings of triumph. To think that there I was, opening the door, little by little, and he had not even to dream of my secret deeds or thoughts. I fairly chuckled at the idea, and perhaps he had heard me, for he moved on the bed suddenly, as if startled. Now you may think that I drew back, but no, his room was black as pitch, with a thick darkness, for the shutters were closed, fastened through fear of robbers, and so I knew that he could not see the opening of the door, and I kept pushing it on, steadily, steadily. I had my head in and was about to open the lantern when my thumb slipped upon the tin fastening and the old man sprang up in bed crying out, Who's there? I kept quite still and said nothing. For a whole hour I did not move a muscle and in the meantime I did not hear him lie down. He was still sitting up in the bed listening, just as I have done night after night, hearkening to the death watches in the wall. Presently, I heard a slight groan, and I knew it was the groan of mortal terror. It was not the groan of pain, 
or grief, oh no. It was a low, stifled sound that arises from the bottom of the soul when overcharged with awe. I knew the sound well. Many a night, just at midnight, when all the world slept, it has welled up from my own bosom, deepening with its dreadful echo the terrors that distracted me. I say I knew it well. I knew what the old man felt, and pitied him, although I chuckled at heart. I knew that he had been lying awake ever since the first slight noise when he had turned in the bed. His fears had ever since growing upon him. He had been trying to fancy them causeless, but could not. He had been saying to himself, it's nothing but the wind in the chimney, it's only a mouse crossing the floor, or it's merely a cricket which has made a single chirp. Yes, he has been trying to comfort himself with these suppositions, but he had found all in vain, all in vain because death, in approaching him, had stalked with his black shadow before him and enveloped the victim, and it was the mournful influence of the unperceived shadow that caused him to feel, although he neither saw nor heard, to feel the presence of my head within the room, when I had waited a long time, very patiently, without hearing him lie down, I resolved to open a little, a very, very little crevice in the lantern, so I opened it. You cannot imagine how stealthily, stealthily, until at length a single dim ray, like the thread of a spider, shot from out the crevice and full upon the vulture eye. It was open, wide, wide open, and I grew furious as I gazed upon it. I saw it with perfect distinctness, all dull blue, with a hideous veil over it that chilled the very marrow in my bones. But I could see nothing else of that old man's face or person for I had directed the ray, as if by instinct, precisely upon the damned spot. And now, have I not told you that what you mistake for madness is but over-acuteness of the senses? Now I say, there came to my ears a low, dull, quick sound, such as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I knew that sound well, too. It was the beating of the old man's heart. It increased my fury as the beating of a drum stimulates the soldier into courage. But even yet, I refrained and kept still. I scarcely breathed. I held the lantern motionless. I tried how steadily I could maintain the ray upon the eye. Meanwhile, the hellish tattoo of the heart increased. It grew quicker and quicker and louder and louder every instant. The old man's terror must have been extreme. It grew louder, I say louder every moment. Do you mark me well? I've told you that I am nervous, so I am. And now, at the dead hour of the night, amid the dreadful silence of that old house, so strange a noise as this excited me to uncontrollable terror. Yet, for some minutes longer, I refrained and stood still. But the beating grew louder and louder. I thought my heart must burst. Now a new anxiety seized me. The sound would be heard by a neighbor. The old man's hour had come. With a loud yell, I threw open the lantern and leaped into the room. He shrieked once, once only. In an instant, I dragged him to the floor and pulled the heavy bed over him. Then I smiled gaily to find the deed so far done. But for many minutes, the heart beat on with a muffled sound. This, however, did not vex me. It would not be heard through the wall. At length it ceased. The old man was dead. I removed the bed and examined the corpse. Yes, 
He was stone, stone dead. I placed my hand upon the heart and held it there many minutes. There was no pulsation. He was stone dead. His eye would trouble me no more. Still, if you think me mad, you will think so no longer when I describe the wise precautions I took for the concealment of the body. The night waned, and I worked hastily but in silence. First of all, I dismembered the corpse. I cut off the head, and the arms, and the legs. Then, I took up three planks from the flooring of the chamber, and deposited all between the scantlings. I then replaced the board so cleverly, so cunningly, that no human eye, not even his, could have detected anything wrong. There was nothing to wash out. No stain of any kind, no blood spot whatever. I had been too wary for that. A tub had caught all. Ha <laughs> ha! When I had made an end of these labors, it was four o'clock, still dark as midnight. As the bell sounded the hour, there came a knocking at the street door. I went down to open it with a light heart for what I had now to fear. There entered three men who introduced themselves with perfect suavity as officers of the police. A shriek had been heard by a neighbor during the night. Suspicion of foul play had been aroused. Information had been lodged at the police office, and they, the officers, had been deputed to search the premises. I smiled, for what had I to fear? I bade the gentlemen welcome. The shriek, I said, was my own in a dream. The old man, I mentioned, was absent in the country. I took my visitors all over the house. I bade them search, search well. I led them at length to his chamber. I showed him his treasures, secure, undisturbed. In the enthusiasm of my confidence, I brought chairs into the room and desired them here to rest from their fatigues, while I myself, in the wild audacity of my perfect triumph, placed my own seat on the very spot beneath which reposed the corpse of the victim. The officers were satisfied. My manner had convinced them. I was singularly at ease. They sat while I answered cheerily. They chattered familiar things, but ere long I felt myself getting pale and wished them gone. My head ached, and I fancied a ringing in my ears, but still they sat and chatted. The ringing became more distinct. It continued and became more distinct. I talked more freely to get rid of the feeling, but it continued and gained definitiveness until, at length, I found out the noise was not within my ears. No doubt, I now grew very pale, but I talked more fluently and with a heightened voice, yet the sound increased, and what could I do? It was a low, dull, quick sound, much such a sound as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I gasped for breath, and yet the officers heard it not. I talked more quickly, more vehemently, but the noise steadily increased. I arose and argued about trifles in a high key and with violent gesticulations. The noise steadily increased. Why would they not be gone? I paced the floor to and fro with heavy strides, as if excited to fury by the observation of the men. But the noise steadily increased. Oh, God, what could I do? I foamed, I raved, I swore. I swung the chair upon which I'd been sitting and grated it upon the boards. But the noise arose over all and continually increased. It grew louder, louder, louder. And still the men chatted pleasantly and smiled. Was it possible they heard not? Almighty God, no, no, they heard, they suspected, they knew. They were making a mockery of my horror. This I thought, and this I think, but anything was better than this agony. Anything was more tolerable than this derision. I could bear those hypocritical smiles no longer. I thought that I must scream or die. And now, again, hark, louder, 
Louder! Louder! Villains! I shrieked. Dissemble no more. I admit the deed. Tear up the planks. Here, here. It's the beating of his hideous heart. We hope that you all have enjoyed uh, listening to us tell some of our favorite Halloween and scary stories. Uh, hopefully this is something that we'll be able to do in the coming years as part of our Halloween celebration and Halloween episodes. You know, again, th there will continue to be much, much Poe in the future because he is <laughs> truly a master. But would like to wish you all a happy Halloween, that all of your haunts have gone well, and that you are ready to start planning for next year. We'll be back in November, uh, probably around November 15th, where we'll recap how our Halloween went, and we hope to hear how all of yours went as well. Everyone out there, have a fun and safe Halloween. Wait, we have to be safe? I said them to be safe. If, if, them. So them. If, you, if you murder anyone, make sure you take precautionary steps so that you're not caught. Also, but don't hide it under the floorboards. Don't hide it under the, the floorboards. The Haunting University Podcast does not endorse murder. <laughs> Yes, please don't murder anyone. Happy Halloween from all of us here at the Haunting You Podcast, and we'll see you in November. Bye, everybody. <laughs> okay, you should put a pigeon on top of it. <laughs> Haunting You is a production of the Rocky Mountain Home Haunters, LLC. All audio clips and sound effects are used under a Creative Commons attribution or public domain license from Purple Planet Music at www.purple-planet.com or the Sound Bible at soundbible.com. Please see our Facebook page for more information on all the clips used in this episode. Haunting University can be reached via Facebook at www.facebook.com slash haunting you with the letter U or on Twitter using the handle at haunting Univer one that's haunting U-N-I-V-E-R-1. Be sure to check out our new page on Podbean at www.hauntingyou.podbean.com.
quote the raven. Hey, can you do a pigeon for no reason at all? Thanks. 